The weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Hour two underway. Yawk and Lundy along for the ride for you guys on a Saturday afternoon. Hope you all are doing great wherever you might be. Uh, Lundy, we're going to talk about something cool here in a moment. A world record set in our very own backyard. And I told you about this right before we went live with it. And it's pretty incredible. But we're going to bring in James Lawrence now. And some of you may know his name. Some of you may know his nickname, the Iron Cowboy. James, how are you, sir? Well, if I'm being honest, I'm exhausted, but I'm good. Okay, so James, I have been following your work for a while. When I was back producing another show here on our station, we had you on, if I recall correctly, to talk about your 50-50-50 deal where you did 50 triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. Uh, Pretty incredible accomplishment in that own regard. But you just recently completed what they call the Conquer 100, and you actually did Conquer 101. Explain to our listeners what exactly you did for 101 straight days. Uh, Well, we did a full-distance triathlon, which is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, followed by a full marathon run, which is 26.2 miles, totals 140.6 miles. So over the course of 100 days, you ended up doing uh, 14,060 miles. And um, after the Conquer 100 project was over, we decided to shock everybody and do one more. And so on day 101, I got up and I did it all again. Uh, so James, as, as somebody who's like, my only experience with anything that has the word marathon in it involves a couch and extended versions of Lord of the Rings. Like, how is how did you get into this? Like, what kind of mental and physical fortitude does it take to to do this kind of thing, not just once, but 100 times, 101 times? Uh, I, I would say it's a lifetime of dedicating myself to uh, developing grit and ment- mental toughness. It's not just something you show up and one day decide to do. Um, it, it's been building blocks and stepping stones to get to this point. Uh, we've been we've been breaking world records for over uh, a decade now, and so uh, this was just the the final piece to the journey, the puzzle, if you would. And um, yeah, we were, we were quite humbled to be able to accomplish this in our backyard and in our home of Utah. Yeah, James, I had a buddy suggest to me that I follow you on Instagram when this was a kind of starting out. You started this March first, and your your endeavor. You said a hundred straight days in these full distance triathlons. I probably started following it, I, I believe, in the first couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. And every day, I would tune in, I'd, I'd hop on Instagram, and I'd pull up your feed, and your daughter did an incredible job chronicling everything you guys were accomplishing throughout this. If I'm not mistaken, when you got to 51, that set the record. If, is, is that right? Yeah, that, that's correct. 51's record, and then we broke a re- record every single day after that, um, which was a lot of fun to do as well. Okay, so why why do this? I, you mentioned that you, you've broken all these records. It's kind of something mean, you've built up to, you said, throughout your life. But why this? Why 100 straight days of a full-distance triathlon? Uh, 51 seemed seemed easy to just do it by one. 
75 didn't scare me. And so the kind of the next fun number was 100. Um, and we did it to raise money for Operation Underground Railroad. Ended up raising over a quarter million dollars to them, which was super humbling and uh, grateful that we were able to do that. James, so when when did this kind of start for you? Like, not just the, you know, the, the Conquer 100, but just triathlons in general. What, when did you really start to get into that? Uh, probably 2006 would have been my first uh, kind of get my toe in the water experience. Uh, just started doing local sprint triathlons and uh, getting into the community with my fun, and we were just having a lot of fun racing and getting to know people, and I would just turn into turn into a hobby for us. And how long have you been doing this professionally then? Uh, I'm still not a professional triathlete. I'm an amateur. Um, okay. it, it turned in it turned in full time once we started breaking world records. But my, my main source of income is is doing uh, speaking speaking for corporations. I've had an opportunity to speak on uh, hundreds of stages in 48 different countries, and so that's kind of how I feed, how I feed my family. That's absolutely incredible. So you, you've done this all as an amateur along the way. I know you had a bunch of great sponsors who kind of took care of you along the way. I know you had a two. Uh, are they are they friends of yours that were kind of your your compatriots throughout all this? I know you had hundreds of other people who would come do different events with you. But you had at least two guys I know that did this every day with you. Yeah, so we call them the wingmen. Uh, they they were with me the whole fifty, and so they wanted to be part of this journey too. And Aaron, um, he he kind of runs our coaching program. Um, and works for me full time, and so he's a phenomenal cyclist. And so he he kind of joined me every single day on the ride, and he did all 101 rides with me, and and made sure that uh, I was staying safe and had what I needed. And then uh, Casey swam with me a couple times a, a week, and then and then ran at least 18 miles with me every single day, and carried the pack and all my nutrition. And um, which those two boys were just insane support. And uh, Casey's a local school teacher here, and. Um, has the summers off, and so that's why he was able to do early mornings and then uh, afternoon and into the evenings. So, you know, you mentioned this kind of came to my mind when you mentioned that, you know, somebody was running with you carrying your nutrition and things like that. What kind of training and nutrition do you do to prepare for something like this? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, you can't you can't train for a 100-day challenge, and so um, you just get yourself – physically fit to the point where you believe you can start and then you gain gain fitness and experience throughout the 100 days um but fueling for the the, the hundreds obviously a different task when I mean, we were eating eight to ten thousand calories a day uh, to try to try to keep the engine going so what exactly does it uh, does a guy because i know you, you these triathlons you have what they call transition periods you go from the pool to to the bike and then the bike to to the run it's kind of how you did it you did those two different transitions how much are you eating in between those transitions? How much are you eating during each of these events each day? Yeah, very very little during transition. The goal is to get back out on the road and keep moving because um, we've got to finish and get you know get prepped for the next day every single day for a quarter of a year. And so most of the food consumption was done uh, while biking and while while running. Yeah. So okay, I got one other question for you on this, James. Is what's next? Like, wh- wh- have you thought about what is next? Or are you just taking time off now? You said, you know what, I've, I just completed an absolutely incredible accomplishment, but what, what is next for you? What, what are you thinking? Uh, physically, um, there's, there's not going to be a next. I'm going to get into my normal cycling, uh, competing, um, and just doing fun races. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm hundred percent satisfied. Um, 
I mean, we, we, we legitimately made sports endurance history. And um, so when you, when you do that, I don't know that there needs to be a, a next at this point. I'm going to join my family. We're going to go to Mexico next month in Puerto Vallarta. We're going to unwind. It's going to take me a long time to recover from this. You've you got to imagine there's 24 hours a day for a quarter of a year um, in order to set this record. And that's uh, when you can hear I've lost my voice and there's a lot of damage to my, to my body, obviously. And so there's, there's now the next phase, which is the recovery phase. And that, that's going to take some time. Um, and, and what's next for me is, is continuing my speaking career and our coaching programs. Um, I'm taking a few months off, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the road and we're going to start speaking again starting in August. We've got the documentary to edit and, and get out there. We've got the, a, a second book to write. And so there's a lot to do. Um, physical challenges. I don't need to top that right now. I'm totally satisfied. And if uh, sports and history is not enough for people, then uh, that's on them. Um, wh- when do you anticipate that documentary being uh, finished and released? And the uh, same thing with, with that book. Um, we're we're going to start the process right quick with both of them. Um, the goal is the first of uh, first of the year uh, for, for both those projects. Uh, it's just going to take some time. But I, I am starting speaking um, as early as August. Um, we've already, my bureau's already been booking uh, those events out. So hopefully within the next six months, a lot of stuff's going to start happening. So James, did you have a documentary crew following you around throughout all of this? Yeah, it was Mike the whole time. We had a crew following everybody the whole time. And so they're uh, currently in the editing process. Our hope is to, to get it in the Sundance Film Festival, being a local here and um, setting the record right here in the, in the Wasatch Mountains. So that's going to be our goal. We need a quick turnaround in order to do that, but we're not going to sacrifice quality. Um, it was it was quite the journey, and so hopefully they captured it well. How, yeah, how much footage did they capture then? Oh, tons. I mean, there's cameras rolling the whole time. You got to think uh, a quarter of a year of footage rolling the whole time. So there, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, we'll see what to what angles they take and what what they decide to do with their creative um, editing skills. Well, James, like I said, it's been an absolute inspiration to follow you on Instagram throughout all of this. I, I, I can attest. I've seen the damage that you have incurred upon <laughs> your body just watching yeah. these Instagram stories from your, your family and whatnot. I know your family is extremely proud of you. They've been very clear about that throughout this entire process. But I guess where can people find information about your speaking career, about the Conquer 100? Where do they need to go if they want to learn more about this? Yeah, the two best places is uh, ironcowboy.com. And also, uh, I think we're a pretty good follow um, uh, on Instagram at ironcowboyjames and on Facebook at ironcowboy. Uh, by, by the way, what's, what's the impetus? What, why, why the Iron Cowboy? Where did that come from? I wanted to ask. Yeah, early in my career, um, I, you know, Ironman spectating is, is terrible. And I had little kids. I got five kids. And so I, I used to wear a cowboy hat during the marathon of of big races so that they could see me coming and cheer dad on. And um, the public just kind of deemed me the Iron Cowboy, and so it stuck. That's a fantastic that so nickname. Cool. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Well, James, I guess for Alex and I, I'm both going to say we tip our cap to you because I'm with Alex. Just the thought of doing one of these in, in a, a day just is astounding to me. In fact, you did 101 straight days. is just utterly phenomenal. Well, and uh, anybody that's not following me right now, now would be a great time. Uh, we're, we're launching a, a promotion this weekend that any merchandise that you do purchase, um, we'll be giving away um, an iFit treadmill. So oh, wow. uh, if, you wanna, if you want a shot at a treadmill this week from iFit, just go on there, jump on, and uh, give us a follow. We're going to open it up this afternoon. Uh, any purchases, you get an entry into that drawing. So, 
Awesome. Well, James, thank you again for taking some time. Best of luck in your recovery efforts, obviously, with getting your speaking career reignited here. Obviously, I'm sure COVID had an impact on that. We're hopeful that everything going forward is great for you. And I guess the next time you decide to do something crazy like this, we'll have you back on, all right? Awesome, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, James. There you go. James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. Man, that is... I'm, I'm honestly, I'm blown away. Like, <laughs> I just, I can't comprehend doing anything that's anywhere close to that tough. So, just for an example for people, Eric, do you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, when he said, oh, yeah, it was too easy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, easy's, uh, trust me, guys, I followed it on Instagram. He beat himself up, truly. Uh, we're talking lost toenails. He actually had one point where he got in a bike wreck and actually flipped over his handlebars. Uh, jacked up his hip the hip actually and it happened about midway through there was some thought that he may have to end the project during after that bike accident no no i'm talking about like when when you proposed the question you know why didn't you just do one of those he was just like oh too easy Uh, i'm telling you guys he did he did 50 triathlons in 50 states in 50 days at one point and he made a very good point what else is there to prove yeah he set a world record every day for 51 straight days essentially and what did he say? It totaled fourteen thousand miles. Fourteen thousand miles overall. It's two point four mile, two point four mile swim every single day, which is tough enough. Yeah. One hundred and twelve mile an hour bike ride. He did this is by the way. He was based in Pleasant Grove, is where he lives. And so the Linden uh, Community Center pool. If any of you are familiar with Utah County, is where he did his swim every single morning, starting at five thirty. He did this starting March first, folks. He has gone through heat waves. He's gone through snowstorms. He's gone through rain, sleet, hail. He's been through it all over this 100 days, and he's done it rain or shine, and he's started early in the mornings. 5.30 every morning is when he started the swim. And so, and then he would finish. And early on in this project, he was running most of these marathons, and I, as I said, I tracked this. So I was watching this every day. My wife got annoyed with the fact that I kept watching this every day, trust me. But he, uh, he would finish these things sometimes 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. It was an all-day, everyday affair, and I got to tip my cap to him. Just utterly phenomenal to think of him doing that. Right here, by the way, in our backyard. This is in Utah, all of it. So did you say 14,000 miles? Yeah, to the total distance covered was 112 miles, an hour, uh, 112 miles on a bike every single day. It was a 26.2 mile an hour. It's a full marathon every day, and then 2.4 miles swimming every day. And he said it was just north of 14,000 miles total the, distance. The crazy thing about that is the circumference of the Earth is just under 25,000 miles. Yeah. So he yeah he covered over <laughs> half yeah it's like, like the circumference what, three, of the globe three fifths of the yeah just, and just like I mean yeah I was curious I googled uh, Los Angeles California to New York uh-huh. Manhattan. Uh, via car, that's about 2,791 miles. Sure. So let me pull up the old calculator, stall for me for a second. How many times would he have gone there and back what? from Los Angeles oh, to New math York? On I know. Uh, DJ and PK taught me very early on in my run with them. Do not well, do that's math why on I air. asked you to stall. <laughs> <laughs> so you stall for it. You figure it out and get back to us. Eric. But it's just... It, the, the, this was an absolutely audacious, incredible thing that he set forth to do, and the fact that he accomplished it. And then, by the way, you know what? I did a hundred of these. Let's do it again tomorrow. Let's do one hundred one. Let's do one more. <laughs> one, man, like when he said he ate between eight to ten thousand calories a day. Uh huh. That that right there just blew my mind. Uh, you know, having done some like you know kind of training and some you know. 
yeah nutrition and things like that like i mean obviously you look at me right now i'm not in the, the in the in the midst of that right epi- now I've, you're the epitome of, of fit. oh no yeah this you know obviously uh no but when i was doing that kind of sure. stuff um you know like the eating the right uh, amount of calories with the right kinds of food that's not easy you know i yeah. mean like it's there are certain foods where it's just like I like to eat for enjoyment, you know, and when you're eating for fuel, some of those things, it's like it's hard to eat that amount of that specific food, yeah. but you need it. And to eat five times what I was trying to eat is like I just can't even comprehend like trying to do the, yeah, you know, talking about doing math on air, trying to just do the math of, okay, we need this many carbs and we need this much protein Mm -hmm. every single day how are we going to carry this how are we going to transport this how are we going to consume it how are we going to consume it in the midst of all of this it's just i mean just there's so much you add that on top of just pushing through the pain pushing through all of that and just the physical wear and tear on your body i was going to say one thing i meant to bring up with him i failed to do this but i do know that throughout this process probably some of you are thinking okay how much weight did he lose he actually, I think, maybe dropped four or five pounds total. He kept his weight relatively stable. It was absolutely incredible. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. You got I an mean, answer for us? Yes. Okay. One, he went back and forth from Los Angeles to New York two times round trip. So that means he went from Los Angeles to New York back to Los Angeles twice. Sweet. All right. Well, Plus one more. So incredible man if he wanted to live in new york like could. and i remember i told you guys before we started the show i was like hey we're gonna have this guy named james lawrence on and both of you looked at me like who's james lawrence and i said you guys know who the iron cowboy is nope so i think a lot of people well, this, we do now this story needs to be more widely known I, I was like you know what we're gonna see if we can get him on air i'm glad we did but yeah just i gotta tip my cap to him because the most i have run a race is a 10k and i'm not gonna lie, finishing that 10k, I feel like I accomplished something. The fact that he did 26.2 miles a day on top of riding a bike and swimming that much was mind blowing. Yeah. It really, like I said, you know earlier, the only types of marathons that I'm ever associated with are movie marathons, <laughs> and you know those are those are hard enough for me. I can't imagine actually moving for that same, you know, yeah. length of time. So, yeah, tip of the cap to the Iron Cowboy. Big thank you to James Lawrence for joining us. All right, coming up next, we'll get to five minutes of and talk about some different topics going on in the sport. Uh, still looking for your guys' questions to answers to the question of the day here on the Saturday show. What are your expectations for Game 3 tonight between the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Clippers? We'll get to all of that coming up next right here on the Saturday show. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Yawk and Lundy along for the ride here on the Saturday afternoon. This is what we call Five Minutes Of, and it's a segment we created when we relaunched the show. And we usually start this by talking about what we love to call Saki. So, Eric, do us the honors. Go ahead. Suzuki can't get it to the net. Blocked by Pullman. 
as they battle in the corner. Caulfield picks it up and scores! Series winner, Tyler Tapoli! And the Canadians to the Kings of the North! Pulisic! Barbers in the upper 90! In a match in which the U.S. has shown so much character! It's their first ever Champions League winner who played in the final, who answers the call in the very next final. It's Berardi. Spinatola, smart save, and the loose ball tucked in. Italy have their second, and it's Ciro Immobile. And that may be enough to secure this opening win that they so crave in front of their own fans. Islanders win the draw. Paggio, a point-a-game player in the playoffs, moves it back for Dobson. His shot patted down by Raz. They score! Timmons blocks, Sanchez up to Chuskin, and a save by Flurry, and then to Chuskin with a second, great opportunity. 13-22 left to go, the only reason is because of the great save by Marc-Andre Fleury, not once but twice. Welcome to Saki. Good open there, by the way. Good job, Eric, on that. All right, let's start off. Uh, Saki, by the way, for those of the uninitiated that have not al- been, have not been along for the ride, we took soccer and hockey, two sports that Lundy and I are both friends of, and just jammed it together. Uh, by the way, credit does go to our good friend uh, Clint Peterson out there. Uh, Clint, I hope you're doing well. I know you've faced some issues this week, some circumstances beyond your control. Hope you're doing all right. But let's talk first off about hockey here, Lundy. Where are we going? So last week with hockey, you would ask me a question okay. with the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, if there was anything that I was surprised by. All right. And I had mentioned a, a little bit of surprise, but I wasn't overly surprised about Montreal, you know, getting into the first or getting past the first round into the second round and going up early on uh, Winnipeg. I am absolutely floored and shocked that Montreal not only advanced past the second round, but did so in a sweep. They swept in, yeah. I mean, you know, they were kind of the last team to really secure a playoff spot. And, man, they are they are impressive. Coming off of a Game 7 win in the first round to play a team that had a lot of rest because they swept my Oilers in the first round and then to sweep them, uh, that's impressive. I'm also surprised, and Eric, I, I apologize in advance, uh, I am surprised that... The Avalanche lost in the manner that they did. Um, the Vegas Golden Knights win that series 4-2. to two. Uh, After falling behind early in the series, they came back and uh, they, they won in surprising fashion. I, I thought that uh, Colorado was the favorite to win the Cup, um, or at least be in the Cup. And uh, for, for them to, to go out in the second round was a big surprise to me. So... Uh, Vegas and Montreal now square off in the semifinals. On the other side of the bracket, the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Isn't this a repeat of last year in the final in the in the conference final? I you know I, I don't remember. think the Islanders. I don't think were the Islanders there. were either. I thought it like, was because they were talking about maybe, the fact yeah. that Islanders and the Lightning were rematching. Could be. In the, in the I finals. think they might have played each other in like the second round. Okay. Yeah. It's. I feel like the Islanders haven't advanced quite this far in a while. It's. It's. it's 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 unique to see a New York based team that wears blue and orange uh doing so well. So um, you know, credit to them. 
but you're not a, you're not a jilted Oilers fan at all. Well, it's it's not even just you know like I was more making reference to the Mets and the Knicks. Oh, okay, fair enough. But you know. oh no 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 credit um, to Jake he he got that right. Oh, the, uh, it, it is the Islanders. I thought it was a rematch were, of the yeah, conference it was finals. A, it was a you are correct, rematch sir. Of the conference finals. All right, well. Eric and I, the hockey fans, are, are wrong about hockey. And let me just say about the Avalanche. What happened is the team just quit. They were up 2 okay. nothing, and they quit. I mean, they, they weren't gritty enough. They didn't have enough scoring. The goaltending fell apart down the stretch. And it, in the case of the Habs, I don't know if you feel this way, Lundy, but I just think... It just won't shock me if they make it like a series with Vegas. I know oh. everyone thinks that they'll go that they'll get swept in four, but I think it goes six. I you know, after them beating the, the Maple Leafs and the Jets in the way that they did, no, I I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised to see it be an actual series. I think that Vegas is and should be the favorite. But I mean, you know, the Canadians they're uh, you know, they're 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 a team to watch. They can definitely make things interesting um but it is fun to see you know two different because the the playoffs were a little bit unique this year where they had you know yeah four brackets instead of four the two pods, brackets essentially yeah. um but there's two four seeds mm-hmm. in the semifinals uh you know one of which by all means should be an eight seed <laughs> with montreal uh but yeah you know there's there's not a single one seed that made the semifinals so you know, wow. we're we're looking. Uh, you know, the highest seeded team is Vegas. Okay. And uh, so this should be a lot of fun. Should be interesting to see how this progresses as we uh, get closer to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I, I as I said to you guys. I, by the way, one thing I, I tweeted this out the other night when Vegas pulled through and won that series. What that franchise has accomplished, and they're four years in, if I'm not mistaken, at this point. I believe so, yeah. The stuff that they've accomplished as a franchise, it's something that doesn't get talked enough about in pro sports. Yeah, I mean, they, they are they are one of the best-run front offices in the league. Well, they did a good job with and, the— And the coach is incredible. Well, the expansion draft, they did a good job. I think they got Marc-Andre Fleury in yep. that expansion draft. They did. And he's been the backbone of this team, it feels like. He's just been absolutely impenetrable and just— yeah. So if they anyways. can overcome some of the uh, behind the scenes drama there with him sure. and his agent. Sure. Yes. But it's yeah, they, they've done some incredible things. But anyway, so there you go. That's the hockey part of this. Let's talk a little bit about soccer. And first off, I'm not going to lie, Eric, I know you saw this live. Uh, what happened with Christian Erickson earlier today in the European Championships? Scary, scary scenes in there in Copenhagen. Like I man, I. I'm not going to lie, I feared for a minute there we saw a guy pass away on the field. Yeah, I was pretty convinced, like, especially when they showed the shot of, like, a little bit of a technical foul on ESPN because they stuck on the field for, like, it felt like half an hour. Like, they could have thrown back to the studio, but when you when you get, like, the shot of, like, his wife breaking down in the hands of a goaltender like that's a little bit too much it's a bit of an unprecedented scenario they i'm sure that their producers are kind of like uh what do we do yeah i i have never seen i don't think i and i mean i was kind of wikipedian i i have never seen anything like that happen on Mm -hmm. on a stumble and collapse like that it it brought back memories of hank gathers if you guys know that story hank gathers with loyola marymount had a heart condition ended up passing away on the court playing for loyola marymount in the early 1990s 
just a scary situation on that. But uh, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to Christian Erickson. He's been stabilized at the hospital. They're actually in the middle of that match. They've resumed it. Uh, they've resumed that match. Finland and Denmark playing, but just scary, scary scenes. It's just one of those things. Also yeah, adding to that, uh, UFO reported that he was able to speak with his teammates from good. the hospital. Good, that's good. good. That's good, good to hear. hear. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, by the way, congratulations to the United States men's national team. They win the CONCACAF Nations League Cup. And as I told you guys last week, don't ask me what it is. I don't know how to explain what it is. <laughs> but guess what? USA's on top. They beat Mexico 3-2, to two, and that was a crazy Crazy match if you guys watched it. I don't know if you guys did, but it had everything in it. USA. USA. Yeah, it had yeah. everything. I was not able to, to to watch it, but I did see a lot of the Twitter reaction, and I know that people were just, you know, it, it's one of those that I'm kind of glad I didn't watch because, you know, I, I don't know that I could have handled the cardiac <laughs> like stress of it. If you if everything you need to know about that match, you can pretty much see an extra time. Let's just put it this way: we had a, we had a fan is trying to get onto the set. Uh, CBS Sports producing trying to get on the set, getting chased off by security live on air. A uh, fan invades the pitch. They had homophobic slurs being hurled by the Mexican fans that halted the match in extra time. Uh, uh, crazy goals. Christian uh, Pulisic coming up huge for the USA. That match literally had everything you could want. Yeah, watching that soccer match, I was thinking, Jake, I was like, this is like maybe one of the most like complete <laughs> and was... like best soccer matches I've ever watched in my entire it had life. Everything. I I mean that I, I don't I'm not making a I'm not being I mean a backup here. goaltender coming off the bench making huge saves in the clutch. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, by the way, yeah, you gotta give a uh, Props to the backup goalkeeper for the USA in his hometown of Denver, keeping a PK out, just had everything. So props to the U.S. men's national team on that. Uh, the international break for Major League Soccer actually ending this weekend, so Real Salt Lake will resume action next week against their cohabitant here along the Wasatch Front, the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, Vancouver's been here because of COVID concerns. The Canadian teams came south of the border. They're going to be staying here until at least July 1. They've said that far is what we know, and they will fit square off for the first time at Rio Tinto Stadium next Friday when both teams resume action uh, coming off the international break. So July 1st is the potential return date to Canada? That's the earliest they would have returned is what they that, said. That's kind of what I am hoping for because, uh, you know, like not, obviously not knowing a lot about soccer, but mm-hmm. just the, what that would mean to those teams, July 1st is actually Canada Day. Yeah. So um, and for them to be able to return home mm-hmm. on their national holiday – to you know celebrate that I, I feel like that would be really meaningful so I'm kind of you know especially after this this long COVID weirdness just yeah. the all of the all of the blah that all of us have been through I feel like that would be just a really special moment for those teams and those fans if that that could be what happens so that's that's what I'm hoping for because I I just think that would be a really cool yeah, story. Uh, so funny enough, Austin FC just won up uh, one nothing in one of the first matches back from the international break there in MLS action. So that's one thing. All right, one other thing we need to get to here in five minutes of, and it's actually something that Eric suggests. I think it's absolutely something we need to do, and we're going to talk about it. The sixty and sixty. Uh, obviously, that started earlier this week with Hans and Scotty counting on the top sixty players 
in uh, the state of Utah, college-wise. goes across five different universities, by the way, folks. We've got representation from five different Division I institutions this year. We have three guys in in the first three announcements, so let's talk about them. So at number 60, Cam Lampkin, uh, playing for Utah State University. And Cam, I'm not going to lie, I actually nailed this one. I had him at number 60. He's a cornerback out of Mesquite, Texas, playing for Utah State. Showed some things during 2020 during that abbreviated season. But uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Cam? You know, I think this is a you know pretty good ra- ranking for him. I had him slightly higher, okay, um, but not not too much far. You know, so I, I do feel like this is an accurate placement for him. Um, you know, and great way to start off the 60 and 60. Yeah, played in 13 games as a freshman in 2019 and started four of the six games in 2020. Eric, any thoughts from you? Yeah, I had him a little bit higher. A lot of what my rankings came down to was just uh, positional value. Sure. Uh, so I had all the cornerbacks a little bit higher. I had okay. him at 48. Yeah, so for the season in 2020, he had 20 tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, along with two pass breakups. Obviously looking to take on a bigger role this year as Utah State looks to rebound from a pretty rough 2020. Number 59, his teammate Justin McGriff on the offensive side of things. The one thing about McGriff that I find absolutely fascinating is how big he is. Six foot six, 220 pounds. He is a huge, huge target out there. Uh, he's a former junior college transfer from ASA College of Miami. Finished the 2020 season with 15 receptions for 85 yards and two touchdowns. Led the team in touchdown catches, but also second in receptions and receiving yards on the season. Uh, kind of an, a little bit of an indication of how rough o- things offensively were for Utah State last year, but obviously hoping brighter days are ahead. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Lundy? Um, you know, yeah, last season was rough for Utah State, but I think that, you know, when you have a big target like that, that uh, that's always going to be helpful no matter, you know, who you've got behind center. If they can get the ball out to him, he's got a pretty good shot at it just by virtue of his size alone. Sure. Eric, anything? You know, just talking to my sources, Ajay. Um, Your uh, uh, hashtag sources. Um, certain guy named Ajay Salveson. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've, I'm just hearing that this, you know, Anderson system's going to be, you know, a lot of quick passing, a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage, and a big target can, you know, benefit from that. Yeah, he's a guy that if he puts on – 30 pounds he'd be a great tight end in my opinion but he's very good at wide receiver as it is already just a huge huge target all right and then our final uh reveal so far and like i said these are gonna happen every day monday through friday tune into hands and scotty 130 every day they reveal the next player in the 60 and 60 it's a really really fun thing i've been uh, a voter in it ever since they started i believe this is the fourth or fifth edition of it i have a lot of fun voting it. i know you guys voted in it as well but at number 58 BYU place kicker Jake, his nickname Jake the Make, Old Droid. You Way know, too low in my opinion. I I had him positional oh. value, and you had a kicker high. <laughs> yeah, no. what is with you? I, I had a I, well. A, honestly, a good kicker can win you a game. I mean, and and he is Jake one of won the, games for BYU. And, I can tell and you that he much. is one of the more clutch kickers, and he's old, and he's been there, and he's get, and he's, he's only a, a sophomore. What are you talking about? It feels kidding. like he's been there for 30 <laughs> he years. He served a mission. He's 23 years old. I mean, he, he's got he's got it in the bag every time that he steps on the field. I didn't have him super high, but I had him at 55. Okay. Wendy, what are your thoughts on Jake? I'll give you some of my thoughts on him, and I'm 
little more engrossed with BYU than I think either of you are. Right. I had him a little bit higher as well. Um, I don't think I had him probably as high as Eric had him. Uh, but you oh, I've know. got him much higher than Eric. I'll explain here in a minute. Oh, all right. Um, but I did have him higher. Uh, you know, maybe I'm a little bit you know biased. I love like where did I have him? Um, let me look through my list here, find out exactly where I had him number forty-five. Okay. Um, so you had him higher than Eric then? Yeah, fifty-five. What? And so. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I did. Okay. Well, but yeah, I. I just like having players that are place kickers in the sixty and six. Like, you know, it's one of those things. I don't. I both like it, ironically and unironically, to have a kicker that is just seen as one of the best players in the state. Sure. Um, you know, it's just. But you know, Jake Oldroyd has proven that he's the best kicker in the state right now. Um, you know, he's clutch when he needs to be, and so he's absolutely deserving of his spot. I think and. You know, while we each had him higher than where he finished, you know, it's he, he definitely provides a lot of value. Yeah. So uh, I actually had him 41 on my list. Uh, I think he is an absolute weapon. Uh, he's the first kicker in many, many years at BYU to hit multiple kicks from over 50 yards. He was 13 of 13 field goals last year. He was absolute nails. A Lou Groza Award finalist, which goes to the top kicker in the sport. Uh, he's also a third team AP All American. And like I said, he's just a sophomore. This kid is, he's got some special days ahead of him, in my opinion. And he was an unknown, folks. Uh, I don't know how many people know this. He uh, came off the bench ice cold in Kalani Satake's very first game as a head coach back in 20, was that, 2016. He was a kid that had walked on at BYU from South Lake Carroll High School in the Dallas area in Texas. Uh, BYU had some kicking issues in that game. They send him out there. He makes the game-winning kick to lift BYU to that victory over Arizona. And everybody's like, who is this kid? None of us had any clue. He's wearing these neon green cleats. And I've covered BYU as long as anybody on this station, and I had not a clue who he was. He got that Jake the Make nickname from that first kick, and he's ever since, before and after his mission, he's been absolute nails. I think he is an absolute weapon, and BYU is lucky to have this kid. He he can really get after it. I, I'm the one thing I wonder about him is how big of a range he ultimately does have. Uh, he's hit a 54 yarder, so he he can he can boot it. I just wonder uh, has he maxed out his range. But regardless, you go 13 to 13, pretty impressive numbers there. He also was the kickoff specialist last year. Had I believe 47 touchbacks on 86 kicks, over a 50 percent touchback percentage as well. So there you go. That is the 50 and 50 rundown for you guys, catching you guys up on them. We'll do it again next week with obviously numbers. Uh, what we got? We're going to have 57 through what, 53? So actually, we'll have a lot of fun with that. We'll continue to do that throughout the coming weeks as the 50 and 50. It's not 50, 50 60 and 60 play out. My bad. All right. <laughs> coming up next, we'll wrap up the show. Our final thoughts and shots before we go right here on the Saturday show. Let's go live! We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and aggies, even on the weekend. weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Well, Hi, guys. We I like ska music and the bangles. What's up? Is that your best impression of me? What was that? <laughs> 
That I, I felt I needed to to play for Alex because during a uh, jazz post post game show that I filled in uh, uh, for him for we play they play this fantasy game okay. and I had to impersonate Alex Lumber and so <laughs> my best Alex Lumber impression. Is- well, hi guys, we- I like ska music and the Bengals. What's up? <laughs> Excellent choice, by the way, on ska songs. Like this is one of those songs that like. Like, I mean, you guys probably heard me off. Like, as soon as this song came, I was just like, oh. Like, I I can feel my body relax whenever this song comes on. Like, I just groove to this one. All right. Well, it's been a fun show. We're rounding out the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. A couple of things feedback-wise. Our good friend Scooter Burke reached out and said, hey, do you know if Mike Conley is playing tonight? Scooter, hopefully you heard us earlier on the show. He is unavailable tonight due to a, what they're terming a mild hamstring strain. Uh, he says he's planning on being at the Vivian Arena on Monday night uh, for the watch party. By the way, if you guys want to come out and watch the game, if you're a Jazz fan, get out here to the arena. Concessions will be open. They'll have the big screen rolling. It should be a fun night out here in Salt Lake for Game 3 tonight. Uh, pre-game coverage here on The Zone begins at 5 o'clock with Jake Scott as well as Tim Lacombe getting you ready for the game. And obviously, you'll have David Locke and Ron Boone on the call at 630 We'll have full pre-half and post-game coverage for you guys throughout the night. Uh, we asked the question on social media, what are your guys' expectations for this game tonight? I uh, had a couple people reach out and say that they expect the Jazz to battle. Uh, Clint Peterson says, I feel like with a 2-0 series lead, the Jazz will err on the side of caution concerning Conley's hamstring. We already know that. So I hope that isn't a mistake. The Clippers could gain confidence and momentum with resounding W tonight. Absolutely a concern in that regard. Mm-hmm. They build some momentum, obviously, at home, help them out. Um, and also, I mentioned the fact that Clint was having, uh, he's been going through some struggles recently. He says, uh, I'm feeling solid. Thanks, fellas, with a pound sign uh, emoji to us. So, there you go. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Lundy, anything before we go in terms of what you expect tonight for the Jazz? You know, I expect a close one. Mm-hmm. I think that the Jazz are going to come out. They're going to play well. But I don't think it's going to be enough to overcome the Clippers at home, um, which, I mean, I know that Shane had said that they haven't played well at home in the playoffs, with the exception of Game Seven, they've they've really struggled there. I do think that's more of an anomaly, um, because that last series against Dallas was really weird that the road team won yeah. the, the first six games. <laughs> NBA um, history made. Yeah, so I think that. They'll be a little bit more settled in. I do think that the Jazz will be a little bit more cautious, especially with uh, both Bogey and Donovan getting ankle tweaks in that last game. I think the Jazz will be a little bit more cautious. I think that they're going to not quite be as aggressive. They're not. I mean, they're going to try to win. Yeah. Don't you know? Don't you misunderstand. Don't, you don't you go know. out there thinking, oh, "Hey, we're going to take it. We're going to take an L here." Right. You know, it's it's not like the soccer mentality where you go on the road trying to get a point instead of the three points. Mm-hmm. It's they're going to come out, they're going to try to win, but I don't feel like this is a must-win game for them and I think that they understand and they know that. Where it is a must-win game for the Clippers and I think the difference in those two mentalities will give the Clippers the edge. Okay. All right, Eric, any thoughts from you before we go here? I kind of think the exact opposite. I think oh. the the Jazz looked at what happened to the Mavericks and see that they can't let the Clippers back into the system uh, into series. Uh, I just think they come. Out, they might lose tonight, but I I do think that 
it's going to be very close, and they're going to they're going to come out fired up. Okay, uh, I I'm I expect a split. That's what I expect in LA this weekend. I don't I guess over the next two games. I don't know whether it's a loss tonight, a win Monday, but we'll have to see what happens. All right, we are out of time. A big thank you to all of you for joining us this afternoon. It's been an absolute privilege and an honor to be with you guys. Uh, until next week, have a great week. Make sure to join us on Monday with DJ and PK bright and early. Talk about whatever happens tonight, obviously, and then get ready for game four on Monday. Until then, have a great Saturday. This has been the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network.